I think the responsibility of any great leader is to leave their organization in better shape than when they found it. Hey, gang. Welcome back to Future Proof, the world's only FDA-approved podcast. Uh, and I don't even know what that means. Plus, it's not true. So, I mean, it's not true from the standpoint that we're not FDA approved. There, there might be other FDA approved podcasts out there. I don't know. That'd be weird, but I guess it's possible. Um, but at this point, let's let's just forget I said anything, shall we? I'm Bill. I'm your host. Let's start there. And now would be a good time to tell you that this week's show is sponsored by the Business Learning Institute, which delivers competency-based curriculum, courses, content, and community, the four C's, as I like to call them, to maximize career trajectories and grow intellectual capital for organizational and executive leadership. Hundreds of courses by dozens of instructors and unlimited customization. You can just customize the heck out of this stuff, folks. Find out how the Business Learning Institute can help you by visiting blionline.org. So today, good stuff today. So you know Simon Sinek, best-selling author, leadership expert, the people don't buy what you do, they buy why you do it guy author of the third most watched TED Talk of all time, titled How Great Leaders Inspire Action. More than 47 million views and counting that Simon Sinek. He's not my guest this week. <laughs> Had to go in there for a second, didn't I? Actually, true story, I've interviewed Simon Sinek before back in uh, 2013 after he keynoted the Digital CPA Conference. Uh, if you're interested, there's a link to that interview on the BLI blog. That's blionline.org slash blog. But anyway, Simon Sinek, he's not the guest, but he is the inspiration for this week's show. He is, in fact, all over this week's show. He has a new book out titled The Infinite Game, which is brilliant. Great read. Buy it now. And after reading this book, I, I became kind of semi-obsessed with this notion of playing the infinite game, of adopting an infinite mindset. And, and what does that mean, really? What does it mean to think in terms of the infinite instead of the finite? Well, I'm going to let Simon Sinek explain it himself. This comes from a talk he gave for the New York Times back in May of 2018. Take a listen. Because the infinite player understands... Sometimes your competitor has the better product, and sometimes you have the better product. And sometimes you're ahead, and sometimes you're behind. But there's no such thing as best or first or beating your competition. There's only ahead and behind. And the reality of an infinite game is you're actually only competing against yourself. That the objective every single day is how do we become a better version of our own institution this year than we were last year? How do we improve the quality of our culture, how do we improve the quality of the way we uh, uh, provide the service that we claim to be providing? How do we improve ourselves? That is the main point of being an infinite game. Because at the end of the day, we don't have the same metrics as everybody else. And we're not even necessarily playing to the same ends. In other words, in the infinite game, we're not competing against others. We're competing against ourselves. Always trying to outdo ourselves, always trying to take another step closer to our ultimate vision. The vision is the goal, not beating anybody else, not being number one. It's the vision. That's the infinite game. And there's, there's so much magic, I think, embedded in that mindset. Let's take Nike as just one example. This is from a white paper from a group called Academia. So 
Back in the day, the early to mid-1960s, to be specific, there's this little upstart athletic shoe company called Nike, and it created a vision for itself. That mission consisted of two words, Crush Adidas. Now, Adidas was this huge international brand at the time that dominated the market, and Nike wanted in, and so that was its mission, Crush Adidas. They put all of their time and effort and energy into achieving that mission. And by the mid-1980s, they had accomplished it, right? They had crushed Adidas. But once they did that, crush Adidas was no longer a compelling mission. And so kind of resting on their laurels, they did the same old thing until an upstart named Reebok came along and in essence crushed Nike. So Nike had to retool its mission. The new mission became (laughs) crush Reebok, which by the mid-1990s, they eventually did. And then someone at Nike got smart. I'm quoting here from the Academia White Paper. It says, quote, In an effort to avoid another relapse, Nike pursued a new vision, which did not focus on beating their opponent, but rather on becoming the best they could be for their customers. The current mission of Nike is to bring inspiration and innovation to every athlete in the world. Nike then supplements this statement by clarifying the term athlete with a quote from Nike co-founder Bill Bowerman, who stated, quote, if you have a body, you are an athlete, end quote. So in other words, uh, Nike's new mission is to bring inspiration and innovation to every person on earth. Now, that is an infinite game. And it's, it's not about beating anybody. It's about advancing your mission. It's about improving people's lives and making a difference. That's a mission people can get behind. That's a mission that inspires people. It's not about crushing anyone or being number one. It's about purpose. And so I really wanted to talk with Simon Sinek about this concept. But as you can imagine, with A, him being Simon Sinek, and and B, him having a new book out, he's a bit busy these days and and wasn't readily available. But I got the next best thing. My guest this week is Stephen Shedletsky. Uh, chief of he's the chief of staff rather with Simon Sinek's team at Start with Why. You can find out more at startwithwhy.com. Stephen supports leaders to create environments where their people feel inspired to go to work and feel safe and valued while they're there, and then return home at the end of the day fulfilled by the work that they do. Now, how's that? for a bio. <laughs> that's that's good stuff right there. Stephen and I talked about all of this, uh, the difference between finite and infinite games, the benefits of thinking more infinitely, and how uh, traditionally finite-based professions like accounting and finance can get started down a path toward thinking more infinitely. Really good stuff this week. And if you, if you can't listen to Simon Sinek, then Stephen will definitely do. Here is Stephen Shedletsky. So, Stephen, thanks so much for being here. Now, uh, I've read Simon's new book, and and I've watched a couple of his videos. And now I'd like to kind of get your insights into this. Simon says that there are are two types of games, right? Finite games and infinite games. Uh, Explain to me what the difference is between the two. So the, the, the wonderful thing, first and foremost, is Simon does say it, and it's theory that's already been proposed by James Kars. Uh, who's a theologian from NYU, and he wrote a pretty seminal book in 1986 called Finite and Infinite Games. So the f- game theory and finite and infinite games isn't something that that Simon um, made up. It's something that's been around since the 80s, uh, if not before. You know, in it, Kars says that if you have two or more players, you have a game, and there are, there are at least two types of games, finite games and infinite games. 
uh, finite games have known players, agreed upon fixed rules. And there's a clear objective, which is to win. There are winners and losers in finite games. There's clear beginning, uh, beginnings, middles, and ends of finite games. Think of, uh, of baseball. That is a, a finite game. Mm-hmm. The infinite game, uh, in infinite games, you have known and unknown players. Uh, the rules can change. You can make them up as you go. Uh, and the objective is also clear. It's to keep the game at play. Um, there is no end and there are no winners in a game that, that never ends. The goal is to perpetuate the game. Um, there is only ahead and behind. There is no winning. Um, and if you think about it, we are all unwitting players in infinite games. Um, if you think about it, as soon as we are born, though we will expire, we have a finite life. Uh, life is infinite. Life has been around before us and will be around after us. So our lives are actually infinite games. And we can choose to play them by either finite rules or infinite rules. Um, uh, Government politics is infinite. There's no winner of global politics. Though there are finite elections, you cannot say that we've won the game of global politics. It's never-ending. It's constantly on on the go. Uh, You look at a a country like like China, who has a thousand-year plan their political parties. Most of our political parties in this part of, of the world are just trying to win the next election. That's the difference between a finite and an infinite mindset. Parenting is an infinite game. Marriage is an infinite game. I cannot say that I'm winning marriage. That's a <laughs> silly thing to say. You can be number two, you can't be number one. <laughs> um, and of course, Bill, business is an infinite game. Players come and go. The rules can, can change. You can say that you're number one in your industry and someone in the very same industry can say us too. Because based on what metrics, based on what rules, uh, number of offices, number of clients, revenues, your mother's opinion, there's no set standard. Um, And of course, though there are fiscal years, which I know finance and accounting professionals are very aware of, Mm -hmm. uh, you don't win a fiscal year and then win the game of business. You have to keep the game at play. And I think it's a relevant conversation for people in in your profession. Oh, absolutely. And and so just kind of playing like devil's advocate here for a minute. I mean, it mm-hmm. seems to me that, you know, in the world of business today, uh, this notion of a finite game for a lot of folks is much easier to understand. I mean, I mean, we, we hear the language all the time, right? Beating the competition, beating quarterly projections, as you said, uh, uh, being the biggest or, or the best or number one. And in a, a strictly business-minded sense. So why, why shouldn't that be our mission? Isn't, isn't that a noble mission to be better than the competitors in your space? Well, it's just kind of silly. Because like if, if, if your notion is to be better than the competition, the one that's going to disrupt you, you can't even see yet. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of silly. In the infinite game, the goal is to be the best version of yourself, to, to constantly Im- improve. Um, as, as you're familiar in, in the book, we view competition you know, competition is something to beat. Uh, but if you agree that it, business is, is an infinite game, which it is, right? It never ends. Players come and go, and there's no common rules or definition of of, of success. The goal is to study your worthy rivals. Um, that There are competitors in the traditional sense, and you can have peers in other industries where you can you can choose to study them to improve your own play uh, in, in the game. So though it's still good to be mindful of the fact that there are finite games uh, within the, the, the game of business. The game of business is not just simply a series of finite games. It's an infinite game. Um, and it behooves us to, to play the infinite game of business with an infinite mindset. 
So is is it is it fair to say then that that this you know from a finite game perspective the the focus is competition perhaps and from an infinite mindset it's more kind of vision related or mission related absolutely absolutely you know how, how do you win a game that has no end <laughs> uh, you know that that's attempting to play with a finite mindset um, in an infinite game and, and if you play in an infinite game with a finite mindset there are a few very predictable outcomes uh, the the decline of trust, the decline of cooperation, and the, the, the decline of, of innovation. And so, yes, absolutely. I mean, the, the, the organizations that we admire, the ones that play with an infinite mindset, their leaders have an infinite mindset. They're attempting to advance something bigger than themselves. They're attempting to advance um, a, a, what we call a, a just cause or a vision, something noble. Uh, and something that they're very well aware that they won't do in their lifetime, because I think the responsibility of any great leader is to leave their organization in better shape than when they found it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so as you said, I, I, I work for and, and serve the the accounting and finance profession, which is as staid and tradition bound, and, and maybe arguably as as finite as any profession out there. I mean. This is a you know this is a profession in which the acronym Sally S A L Y or same as last year as we call it still resonates with a lot of folks and and we've been that way for generations and after all that time what what are the benefits for folks in our profession to start adopting a more infinite mindset Yeah well there's the there's the joke how many how many CFOs does it take to change a, a light bulb uh, I haven't heard that one. How many? Ch- change. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, I mean, the 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 value of adopting an infinite mindset. I mean, it, it. I mean, one is innovation, and the other is meaning. I mean, it, if you play the infinite game of business with a finite mindset, you're you're just striving to survive. Um, you're striving to maintain control. If you play in the infinite game of business with an infinite mindset, you can actually embrace uncertainty. And let's face it, the change of pace in today's digital world is like never we've seen before. And I don't think it's going to slow down. No. Um, and so when, you know, we, we kind of live in an era where you should find a vision. I, I, only 2% of the population are visionaries. And if you're a, an operator, a, a, you know, in the, in the operations profession or the finance accounting profession, you may not be a visionary. And that is okay. Because if we had a population in which we had 98% of visionaries, we'd get nothing done. Um, It is the partnership between those of us who have vision, the Richard Branson's, the Steve Jobs, the Martin Luther King's and and, and JFK's, these people, um, Malala and and Greta Thunberg, these people who, who can put into words a clear picture of a future state that we believe in. We believe in so deeply that that what we're willing to sacrifice personally to see that that just cause, that vision of the world is is advanced. Now, of course, organizations need funding and and businesses need to generate profit, but that ought not be the purpose of an organization. The purpose of generating profit is to generate fuel such that you can continue to fund the crusade. Right. And so I, I, I think that the benefit of adopting an infinite mindset and having an awareness that um, though in the accounting and finance profession, you have to be aware of, of the finite games that are within the infinite game of business, 
though you have to be aware of them, you, you also have to, to uh, acknowledge the fact that that's not the whole point. The whole point is to advance something that the organization stands for. Um, and, and in fact, if you do stand for something bigger, that you solve a human problem, that is the route to your innovation. And that is the route to the organization thriving and, and, and surviving for, for years to come. So, so is that, is that where it starts? I mean, what are, what are some, you know, logical first steps toward adopting that, that type of infinite mindset? Yeah. So Simon writes us in, in the book, as you know, there are five practices that we must constantly do to uh, lead in the infinite game with an infinite mindset. And there are five practices because they're, they're not, you have, you have to maintain these practices. Um, just like Bill, you know, how, how do you, how do you have a healthy lifestyle? Well, you have to exercise, you have to eat well, you have to sleep well, you have to maintain and focus on building relationships, and you have to focus on your mental health as well. Which one do you start with? I don't know. <laughs> you, you know, um, uh, you just have to do them all and you have to keep doing them all. Um, and when you get healthy, if you stop doing one of them, you will no longer be healthy. It's the awful thing about going to the gym. Once you hit your goal and you get to the weight you want or you feel great, you, you can't stop. You have to keep going. It's right. a practice. And right. so it's the same thing with, with leading with an infinite mindset, which is why you know the, the greatest leaders are students of leaders. They don't consider themselves to be experts. They're always learning and always attempting to, to practice and do more. So the, so the five practices are first and foremost to advance a advance a just cause, to have your career, your life, the organization stand for something noble, stand for something that people are inspired by and that people are willing to sacrifice to see it be advanced. Um, at, at our company, we, we talk about a more inspired, safe, and, and fulfilled world. And that's a cause that I'm committed to. Second is we need trust. We need to build trusting teams. Um, S- Stephen Covey has tons of work on the speed of trust. You know, trust is the is the is is the is the lubrication in the engine to keep it going? Um, you can run a snowmobile in sand, but it's not going to go very far, and you're going to need to repair it quite a bit. Trust is essential. Uh, without trust, we can't get much done. I mentioned before the the third practice is to study our worthy rivals. Is that we're allowed to pick anyone? Could be an individual, could be another team, another organization, could it, could even be a force. Like we've done some work with faith based organizations, and they talk about apathy as a worthy rival or even the, the beach as a worthy rival. <laughs> There's one church that we work with that moved their services to the beach. Uh, <laughs> instead of trying to beat the beach, just move to it. And so uh, instead of you know, the traditional beat your competition, study your worthy rivals. Who are the other players that in studying them, you reveal to yourself your own weaknesses and you reveal to yourself opportunities for continuous self-improvement. That's the third practice to study worthy rivals. Fourth is to prepare and to have a capacity for existential flexibility, which is one that may happen once, maybe twice, and maybe even no times in in your career. But your role as a leader is to create the condition that the leaders that follow you could do it. And what existential flexibility means is that um, should there be a profound shift that you need to make in the way your organization runs, you are willing to do it. And there are prerequisites to be able to make such a profound shift. One, you have to have clarity of your just cause. Because if you're to make this profound shift, you need to give people good context and a good reason for such a drastic shift. And then two, you need trusting teams because the organization is going to go through hell. And 
it when going through those rough waters, you need trust such that we stick together, we sacrifice together, uh, and we believe that what's on the other side. So that's the fourth, prepare for existential flexibility. And there are good examples and bad examples of organizations that have embraced this and not embraced this. I mean, Kodak is one that didn't. They were the first company to invent digital photography and chose not to pursue it because they were too, they're too fixed, had a fixed mindset on their traditional film uh, business. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you look at so many industries, like why is it, why wasn't it the music industry that were the ones that made um, MP3 players or Spotify and, and iTunes. You know, uh, why isn't it the publishing industry that made the made the Kindle? If the publishing industry knew, knew that they were in the spread and sharing of ideas, they would have done it. But they were too ingrained on their business model of selling books. So that's the fourth practice: is to prepare for existential flexibility, to make a profound shift if you need to, to in order to continue to advance your just cause. And then finally is to demonstrate the courage to lead because all of this stuff is very hard. It is hard to put a a just cause ahead of uh, short-term profits. Um, It is hard to build trust and to show up as a leader. Like it's really hard. You have to ask people, are are you okay? And mean it. Like it's really hard work. You know, why can't you just do your job? Like it's really hard to, uh, to, to lead and put people first. It's hard to look at yourself in the mirror and see where you need to improve constantly. Um, and of course, it's very hard to make such a profound shift if you need to in shifting your your, your business model. And so courage is, is the ability to make values-based decisions rather than interest-based decisions. And it takes a lot of work. Um, but courage courage is not this thing that comes from deep within ourselves. Courage is actually external. We, we believe courage comes from the relationships we have with the people around us. And, and you know, as you said, none of this is is easy on on the surface, is there anything or or what can we be doing to to make it easier or or mm. to to kind of ease that that path to 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 ease that transition into that infinite game? For sure. Yeah. I think Bill, all of these ideas are simple. Uh, none of them are easy. Right. I two two things come to mind. I, I'm I'm a big believer that the the two most powerful human forces are hope and accountability. Um, mm-hmm. hope is vision. Hope is a belief in a brighter tomorrow and our ability to build it together. Hope is optimism. I mean, if you read a book like Viktor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning, which is an embodiment of uh, Nietzsche's quote of if you have a big enough why, you can overcome any how. So hope is a huge force. So this ability to have a just cause and believe in it so deeply that you're continuously willing to show up and, and, and serve toward it such that you can leave a legacy and others can keep carrying that torch. And what a meaningful journey in life that is to have hope uh, and to inspire and instill hope in others, even when you retire or when you, you, uh, you, you pass away. Yeah. Um, the other is accountability. I mean, I could tell you, Bill, tomorrow morning, I'm going to go for a run before my kids wake up. I'm going to wake up at 5.30, go for a run. Uh, nah. nah. <laughs> like I'm really good at letting myself down. I'm really good. I will let myself down multiple times in a day. Yeah, it's, 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 a, right? It's it's only eleven twenty five in the morning. I've done it multiple times already today. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But better than letting myself down, I will show up for others who I care about and they care about. Right. If one of my buddies says, "I'll see you there five twenty seven a.m.," I'll have my shoes on. I go, "Damn it!" Right now, I got to do it. Yep. Um, accountability is not to a number. Accountability is to, is to a human being. 
And so uh, I think hope and accountability are huge. You know, there, I've, I have a close friend. He's, he's a young dad as well. He and I speak at 9 a.m. at least once a week. Uh, we talk about our journey as fathers. We talk about our journey as leaders and, and, our, and our organization striving to constantly improve as a, in a role of leadership. And he gives me the courage to keep going, to keep trying, and, and to keep showing up. Yeah. And, and it strikes me as, as you're, you're, you're walking through all of this that there are baked into all of this implications from a cultural point of view as well here. And you know, it, it seems that, that a key maybe to, to playing in an infant game is to, is to surround yourself with people who are likewise infinite-minded, perhaps. For sure. For sure. I mean, it, it always helps to have someone uh, who's in that, uh, you know, we call it CEO, but like, what does CEO mean? Like, we know what COO and CFO and CMO is, like, it's in the title, CTO. What's an executive? Like, what do they do? We believe in CVO, Chief Vision Officer, mm-hmm. um, because that's really what the CEO is to do. The CEO is to, is to keep our compass pointing north to remind us what north is and to use all of our efforts to keep going in that direction and to keep going um, on that journey. Um, and yeah, uh, culture matters. Um, you know, if, if, if you put a good person in a bad environment, they're capable of doing awful things. Right. If you put someone who we deem unfit for society into a wonderful environment, they're, one, they're able to do amazing things. Um, environment matters, and it's typically the leaders who set the tone. A, a whisper is a shout. So, so let's say I'm I'm used to playing a finite game, which mm-hmm. I think a lot of us are, and 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 have gotten really good at it. In fact, but I, yeah. I see I see the benefits in logic uh, becoming more infinite minded. What what are some of the challenges that I'm going to face on that journey? <laughs> I mean, one challenge is uh, I mean, it's like going to the gym, Bill. Yeah, it's like you you go to the gym, you work out, you do cardio, you do legs and arms and chest or whatever. That's what I'm told people do at the gym. So, um, and you, you come home and you look in the mirror and what do you see? The same 15 pounds that you need to lose, right? right and right. you go back to the gym again tomorrow for 20 minutes and you do the same workout or a similar workout or whatever your program is. And you go home and you look in the mirror and what do you see? Same thing. And even worse, you hurt. Like it's yeah. painful. Right. And like, it's like, how do I get into shape? Well, go to the gym 20 minutes every day. How long is it going to take? I don't know. Like <laughs> maybe more than seven weeks, probably less than seven years. Right. right? But right. like at some point you go to pick up luggage and you're like, whoa, that was easy. Yeah. Or someone says, hey, Bill, have you been working out? And you're like, finally someone notices. <laughs> uh, it's, it's a practice. It's, right. it's, it's a practice. And sometimes much like in the practice of, of getting in shape, it's going to hurt. Sometimes you, the, the finite numbers may go down a little bit. There's going to be tension in the team or the people who you used to reward as top performers, but they're low trust, right? Yep. So, so sometimes the, the change in, in the short term may cause more tension or more pain or reduce the numbers in the short term, but you do it because you believe in it. Um, and you do it because you find something that your career and your organization becomes a vessel for you to be able to advance something that you so believe in, um, that you want for yourself, you want for your kids and your family, you want for your friends and you want for your colleagues. Um, and what's fun is that when you're, 
when the organization and your career exists to advance a just cause and you build trust with the people around you, you begin to call your colleagues, not simply colleagues, you call them your brothers and sisters. Mm-hmm. Like you're, this is what happens. We know this happens um, in, in policing and law enforcement and, and with men and women who put on a, a, a uniform and literally put their lives at risk to, to advance something. You know, they do it for the person to the left of them and they do it to the person to, to the right of them, even if they don't like them, but they will call you brother and they will call you sister. Um, and I, I think that's worth it. Absolutely. So I, I'm going to ask you to, to take a step into our profession here for a second. And, and I guess, you know, I want to close with this. And in, in an era like today, and you alluded it to it uh, a little earlier there, Stephen, mm-hmm. when, when things are changing more quickly and are more complex than ever. And like you said, there's, it's, it's, it's never going to be as slow again as it is right now. What does an infinite-minded accounting and finance organization look like to you? I mean, I, I think an, an infinite-minded finance and accounting organization sees that their opportunity is to help keep the organization healthy. You know, money, money is like fuel or money is like blood. We don't, don't buy a car so we can drive it. We buy a car so we can go places. We can we can take it places. We can have experiences. We can advance something. You know, we can we can we can go on a journey and go 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 toward a, a, a destination that we may never reach. Um, and I think for accounting and finance professionals to see that they are the ones that um, that are able to put fuel in the car, such that the car can keep going, such that the crusade can keep going. You know, I think shifts it from you know, profit at all costs model to profit to advance a purpose model, um, mm-hmm. profit to keep to keep the keep the crusade going, and it becomes a lot less mundane and a lot more meaningful. Oh, absolutely. Well, Stephen, listen, I, I appreciate you taking the time uh, to join me today, and and for the insights. This has been a fantastic conversation, and I really appreciate it. Thanks for joining me. Thank you, Bill. I hope the the conversation helps your listeners. Thanks for the opportunity. That was Stephen Shedletsky, Chief of Staff with Simon Sinek's team at Start With Why. If you want to learn more, visit startwithwhy.com. And please, please, please read Simon Sinek's new book, The Infinite Game. Great stuff there. You'll find more, including videos that address various practices outlined in the book at simonsinek.com slash the-infinite-game few dashes in there. And don't forget, this week's sponsor is the Business Learning Institute. The BLI's Future Ready Learning Framework outlines the skills that CPAs need to thrive in the rapidly changing world of accounting and finance. That framework is all about gaining and maintaining deep technical knowledge along with a strategic skill set. And we're talking about strategic aptitudes that have been identified as most crucial for tomorrow's CPAs. Start mastering these future ready skills now by visiting macpa.org slash future dash learning. And that's it, gang. Have a great week. Talk to you again soon.